following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome one and all to the big show, episode 840 of I Doubt It. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined by the lovely, talented, and scholarly, Bernie Page. So we are going to start the show with some sad news about a previous guest of the show that that passed, and that would be Dr. Douglas Naverick, my my mentor in grad school, my thesis advisor in grad school, and he passed away this week. I got a message from one of my former professors and a professor that was on my my thesis committee, and uh, she let me know that, that he had gotten sick. He was teaching. He got sick with the flu, ended up in the hospital, and passed away from, from the flu. So... We are very sad to hear about that. Very much. He was a very sweet man. He was. He was awesome. He, I, you know, it brought up a lot of memories just of the process of selecting him as my thesis advisor. You know, when you, when we started grad school, we attended these presentations from various professors explaining what their research was. And he gave his presentation on moral ambivalence and decision making and I kind of early on had this idea of what I wanted to to study and he seemed like a perfect fit for me and I met with him we decided to work together and we had a really great working relationship he loved to travel and I would just like sit in his office and he'd like tell me about these trips that he had gone on and uh, it was always a lot of fun meeting with him and talking to him and, and hearing about his life and very much thinking of his family and it's it's a bummer for sure. Yeah, for sure. We, I mean, we live in pandemic related. We live in a time that, and especially where he lived in Southern California, not enough masking not enough precautions being taken to to stave off something that like this which we don't know the specific details but very well could have been preventable mm-hmm. um very sad yeah he lived a good life he lived a long life yeah and made a lot of significant contributions to science and research and if you want to listen to the episode that we did with him it was back in may of 2017 i tried to find it on wow sp- really yeah <laughs> yeah, I tried to do it, on, find it on Spotify, and I couldn't find it. I don't know if Spotify doesn't go back that far, but you can find it on the Dollamore website if you just do a search for Navrick. It pulls up all of the episodes that are related to him, which there are a few, so I'm not sure what's going on there, but he was on the bonus episode prior to the point where we started including those in our numbered episodes. Mm-hmm. So from May 19th, 2017, bonus with Dr. Douglas J. Navrick, if you would like to listen to that. We also hosted a debate with him and Ryan Nichols, which was another professor at California State University Fullerton. And 
uh, Michael Shermer. <laughs> so if you want to listen to that, you can also listen to that in remembrance of of Dr. Douglas J. Maverick. I think we posted that also as an audio episode, but that's also on YouTube. Yeah. Where you can hear the the lovely Michael Shermer say that we need to give Thomas Jefferson a break. Because of all the raping he did of Sally Hemings, by all accounts, they seem to love each other, he said. So, keeping this on topic, uh, <laughs> we we are, you know, it just sucks. Yeah. It's a bummer, and if you want to remember him, then feel free to check out those those episodes and... I wonder what they're going to do with everything in his office. His office was like decorated from ceiling to floor with photos of his travels and Mm -hmm. like different currency from other countries that he had like stapled to the wall. There was like a giant, I don't want to say shrine to Brittany Page, (laughs) but there was like you had, he had your giant poster Mm -hmm. from one of your site conferences that you presented at Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And then a giant picture of you with the poster. Yeah. I wonder what's going to happen to that stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe someone will see my name on it and reach out to me and see if I want it. I'll definitely take it if, they, if they're if they sending it yeah. out. Yeah. So unlike this episode, on the last episode, we started talking about a lighter topic, which was a tweet that went viral about some controversy regarding whether or not it's okay to ask someone to switch seats Who was the dick in the scenario in terms of the couple that wanted to switch, the couple being in a aisle seat and a window seat, and then the person that they asked to switch being in the middle seat, and the person in the middle seat did not want to switch so the couple could sit next to each other. They wanted to stay in their middle seat for hours during the flight and finish (laughs) several bags of salmon jerky. So we tossed it to the audience and we said, hey... Who who do you think is the dick in this situation? Who do you side with ultimately in this scenario? And the audience was pretty divided. Yeah, it came it came down pretty even, more even than I thought it would be anyway. Yeah, well, let's hear we're going to play a voicemail from one of each, someone who sides We're going to both sides this fucking thing. <laughs> well, we're just going to illustrate <laughs> the two, someone who sides with the middle seat guy and someone who sides with the couple and we're going to start with Ashley in Texas who sides with the middle seat guy. Jesse, Brittany. It's Ashley from Texas. Houston. Listen, I'm just I'm listening to your episode about the guy on the plane and the guy in the middle and the couple. And I have to tell you, I disagree. The the couple is the asshole. Why did they book the, the the two seats and leave the one in the middle? And furthermore, who the fuck cares why the guy doesn't want to move? That's the seat he booked. So leave it alone. Let him sit in the seat. He wants to sit in the middle seat, let him sit in the middle seat. You booked the aisle, and you booked the window. So fucking sit there. It didn't work out for you. You didn't get your middle seat for free. So sorry about you. You didn't get a participation trophy today either. It's fine. Let him sit in the middle seat. Okay. This is thank you for attending my TED Talk. Um, I love you guys. You're both the best part. Bye. Now... My question for Ashley. This is an aggressive fucking TED Talk, let me say. My question for, for Ashley is, did the, the salmon jerky piece not move you at all? 
Yeah. <laughs> because I saved that I, when we had the conversation initially. I was saving that piece of information <laughs> until we kind of sussed out how we felt because I think that that changes the calculus I, once the you only, hear about the bags of jerky. The only way to make that worse is if he had uh, accompanied the salmon jerky, the multiple bags of salmon jerky with like crunching on corn nuts or something like that there's only a few ways to make it worse than it was yeah for sure yeah so ashley is representing the the pro the, the wrong seats the wrong side of the issue and eric in michigan is here to side with the couple hey jesse and Brittany. this is derek i'm calling from michigan listen uh your story about the guy who posted on twitter regarding the airplane seat uh i I'm probably in the minority here. Well, maybe not. I have to side with the couple. And the reason I side with the couple is that I think that if you ask someone politely and it's not too much of an inconvenience, I don't care if you paid for your seat. Nobody wants the middle seat. This guy was just being a jerk. Uh, Clearly, the jerky points right to the fact that the guy's a jerk. He did nothing but eat jerky the entire time, and frankly, uh, it points right to his brains being in the same consistency as the meat. So that's where I'm at. Hope you guys have a great day. Brittany's the best part. Have a good day. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. So that may have been Derek and not Eric. I'm sorry. Yeah. So so here's. Let me level out this a little bit. So, so I don't, and we can dispense with the topic, but I don't think the question is like, who is, I'm not, I'm team couple. I'm team asshole with the jerky. It, it's not really who's right or wrong. Cause I really don't give a fuck about this. This is not something I would ever be in the situation of, because if someone asked me to move, I'm the time I'm going to move. And I would never ask anybody to move. So it's not a situation that would ever befall me, but I look at it as the same as like people who recline their seats and vast numbers in the audience disagree. I'm six foot three. I'm a bigger guy. So when someone declines on an, and you know, we don't fly first class. So when (laughs) someone, I have to clarify that when, when someone fucking reclines the seat, it is a major imposition. It is a major, I'm getting fucked because I'm already (laughs) just crammed in. I'm just, shoehorned in to a fucking sardine can already. <laughs> and then you're going to fucking make insult to injury and lean your seat back. Mm-hmm. It's just nightmarish. So I like I it would be way more comfortable if I would lean my seat back. Mm-hmm. But I know I'm fucking the person behind me. Mm-hmm. I just we're all in this together, you know, so it's it's not who's right, who's wrong, team this, team that. It's like degrees of. Of inconsideration. Yeah, for sure. I, I hear you on that. Um, it's interesting how much time we've spent talking about something you don't really give a shit about, no. though. <laughs> you, so, you know we host a podcast, right? I, it's time to fill. I will say that uh, Derek, I think it was, when I first listened to it, I thought it was Eric, and now hearing it here, I think it, yeah, it yeah. was Derek. Um when Derek talked about nobody wants the middle seat, I think it's possible that some people prefer the middle seat. I think that's possible. And I don't know if it's this jerky guy, but I my cousin did reach out to me, and they said 
one thing about the middle seat is that you get both armrests. Well, technically, you're supposed to you're get, supposed, well, get that's another both debate. armrests where some people don't necessarily agree with that. So, you know, that's something maybe to consider. The jerky, I think, is the game changer, though. That says something about the person's personality, I think. Maybe. Maybe. We don't know. Who knows? We know. <laughs> oh. That's prick shit, bro. That's prick shit. So anyway, thanks for your contributions to this very important conversation <laughs> we that we hosted. We are getting to the bottom of important issues here. <laughs> this is why you tune in to I Doubt It Podcast. We are done talking about this. However, <laughs> if there are issues that you'd like to, to, to discuss, to ask questions about, to make comments on, 657-464-7609. And of course, as always, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. I doubt it is a listener supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters. Isaac sucks. Isaac sucks. Listen, if you want to become a Patreon supporter to shame someone that you hate, we will read it. Well, maybe it is Isaac. <laughs> and he's just really down on himself right now. Oh, don't be down on yourself, Isaac. You're great. <laughs> All right. And continuing. Thank you for our, to our new Patreon supporter, Nathan S. Nathan S. Jamilia A.H. Jamilia A.H. Tennille C. Tennille C. And Timothy D. Timothy D. Thank you so very much to our new Patreon supporters. You are all entered to get the end of year Patreon gift, which is going to be here next week. You're not entered to get it like it's a contest. You're getting it. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a wonderful start. So you're going to get it. It's going to be great. And <laughs> we're going to get it this coming week before Christmas. And then we are going to start sending them out. Do you so, remember what day they're supposed to be here? I think on the 23rd okay. is when they're supposed yeah, to yeah, be yeah. here. So we're going to get them on the 23rd. And then we're going to start packing them up and shipping them out. We are doing it ourselves. So it's going to, over the course of probably a week, be going yeah, out we, in the mail. We may just take Christmas, Christmas Day and drink some eggnog and listen to... Christmas cocktail jazz yeah. and uh, just do it on Christmas Day. I mean, who doesn't love to work on Christmas? It's the ideal time to work. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe we won't be doing that, guys. So anyway, it's going to be a good time. And remember, we extended it to Sweepy's birthday. So if you become a Patreon supporter by January 31st, 2023, then you, whoa, whoa! you will be... <laughs> You will be getting a end-of-year Patreon gift. You won't be entered to get it. I just said, you'll be getting you'll it. You'll be getting it. Yeah, I know. I'm just pointing out. Okay. They know. It's already adversarial. They I'm know. just leaning into it. I know. We all we all know. <laughs> we know. We know, everybody. We get it. Anyway, we love you guys. We appreciate you. Another way to support the show, to drag this mid-roll out even longer, is go to dollamore.info. Check out some of the new merch options that we have in the Teespring store. Every merch purchase goes a long way towards supporting the show and what we do here. Um, 
and you can buy a gift there. Mm-hmm. There's mugs and totes and just just stickers. There's all kinds of cool stuff that would be uh, a great way to support the little show that could. Perfect for your politically active friend. If you're looking for a gift for your politically active friend, there are many designs there that would be perfect. For I think it would be great to give uh, an I Doubt It mug to someone who doesn't even know about the show. <laughs> and they're like, what the fuck is this? And Trust me, you're going to love it. Yeah. Great. <laughs> All right. We love you guys. Moving on. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So we've talked on previous episodes about New York City Mayor Eric Adams and his plan to involuntarily hospitalize mentally ill people who are living on the streets, even if they pose no risk to other people, because in this society, rather than taking care of vulnerable people, we just seek to remove signs of visible poverty from our streets. And New York City is not the only one instituting such a cruel and inhumane plan. Now it's also Portland, Oregon looking to do the same thing. On the second floor of the downtown Hilton Hotel and out of Thursday's rainstorm, Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler and Housing Commissioner Dan Ryan spoke to roughly 150 members of Portland's business community about another storm, one that's been brewing on our streets for years. A significant number of people on our streets are very unwell. We did this to ourselves and we did it intentionally with 30 to 40 years of neglect of our mental health infrastructure in this state. It took decades to get where we are, and it's going to take a long time to dig ourselves out of the hole. One that just keeps getting bigger, in part due to drugs. So there's a couple of trends that that we have been watching, that we have been aware of, that have helped shape our decision to go larger and to be bolder. Part of their plan, banning unsanctioned homeless camping and putting homeless people into six large designated camping sites instead, each equipped with hygiene services and caseworkers, seeing as wait lists for affordable housing are five to seven years long. And if we truly care about connecting people to services and helping them get off and stay off the street, then they need to be in a location where we have a reasonable shot. We have a fighting chance of connecting them to services. Mayor Wheeler seemingly letting his guard down while responding to critics of this plan. And then I have these so-called experts telling me I'm inhumane because I'm asking people not to occupy our public spaces (laughs) wall to wall. At some point, for me, I'll take common sense over expertise. The mayor also taking aim at the county's current leadership. The Joint Office of Homeless Services, to be blunt, has not been transparent with the city. They have not provided us basic data, financial data, that we have requested. Uh, It does not feel like a partnership. Mayor Wheeler and Commissioner Ryan immediately left the breakfast after it ended and were unable to answer any of our questions in person. Now, what we wanted to ask them was where do they plan to put these six large designated camping sites and how exactly do they plan to move the more than 5,000 homeless people living on our streets? 
we're concerned about it, I think, is everybody in the community. Where are they going to go? How is that going to affect those communities? Some in attendance, like Juliana Lukasik with Central City Concern, left feeling cautiously optimistic, especially when it comes to the shortage of workers needed for this plan. Because until we have a really, really solid workforce around behavioral health, these problems are going to be very difficult to solve. Mayor Ted Wheeler is also asking the county to delay their budget vote until the new year. He says what they have in place now won't support this plan. He's also requesting a financial review of the county's Joint Office of Homeless Services. Blair Best, KGW News. So very Trump-esque in terms of yeah. some of those statements that he was making. Shitting on expertise. Yeah, that he, at, at some point, I'm going to trust common sense over expertise. Which is strange from a guy who went to Harvard and Columbia and Stanford. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I That's just looked Ted him went? up. Former Republican. Well. And. <laughs> Not surprising. Yeah, but I mean, now, now he considers himself, I think, by self-definition, a moderate Democrat. Yeah. So. Of course. Look, when he says, when he says, and I'm, so I'm inhumane because I don't want people to occupy our public spaces wall to wall. I'm inhumane because I want to put them in internment camps. Oh, what? Well, and again, listen to the the language there. I'm glad you're highlighting that that part because that's his primary concern. His primary concern... It's not them. No. It's the public spaces. Right. It's not the health and welfare of human beings that are suffering. It's their occupying public space. And then even with the the business leader, the community business leader that they interviewed towards the end of that news package, the first question that she said was, where are they going to go? How is it going to impact our communities? Like, where are these tent cities going to be placed? And yeah. how is that going to impact our communities? It's not... Are they going to be able to provide services that support these individuals that they are moving to these six camping sites? Internment camps. It is, how is it going to impact the surrounding communities where they put these people? And they're admitting up front, they don't have the staff necessary to do what they need to do. Right. I don't understand the tendency here of New York City Mayor Eric Adams, of Ted Wheeler in, in Portland, to look to all these weird and inhumane solutions when we have an evidence-based solution in housing first, yeah. which again does not mean that you just give someone a house and then they're off and you wish them good luck. It is. It means that you you don't put them through hoops first. You don't require them to get sober first. You don't require them to get a job first and then they get housing. You work on those elements after they're housed. You work on the housing first. First, you get them a house first, and then you offer supportive services, wraparound services that help them stay in that and again, housing situation. Evidence-based. And if we invest in that, we don't need to worry about six camping sites and where how we're going to get everyone into the six camping sites yeah, it in sounds Portland. Like, it sounds more like out of sight, out of mind to uh, me. Of course. It's, yeah. again, removing visible poverty from our streets so that we don't have to think about it, we don't have to worry about it, and we can just dismiss the problem as though it is solved. It's not going to be solved. Right. Because if the general public doesn't see people on the street homeless... Right then they don't complain to their local leaders about the homelessness. Right. And then the poverty doesn't ever, ever get addressed because people aren't noticing, oh, shit, these people don't have homes. They're desperate. They're poor. Mm -hmm. They're in need. Right. If they're out of the side of Karen on the street, yeah. 
you know, fucking just so arrogant. Also, can we dispense with the, oh, he's a Democrat. He has the best interest of poor people in heart. Mm-hmm. Eric Adams is also a Democrat. So is this dumb fuck. Mm-hmm. That's not the metric. Right. The metric is by how you govern, by what policies you initiate. Right. Not party. So I want to highlight that that was also an example of a local news package doing a fantastic job reporting the story. Now we're going to move on to a local news agency doing a terrible job reporting a story, which is a Florida police officer who claims... That she came into contact with fentanyl. Oh no! And that's deadly, Brittany. So here's if you look at fentanyl, it can kill you. Yes. So she claims that she overdosed when she touched the fentanyl, and well, she had gloves on. Yeah, that's I. I thought there was an element that and <laughs> gloves on. So here's the thing: experts say this is not possible. It's just not. Experts say. Right. It's not possible. Also, you don't really need to listen to experts. You can like actually take it from people who use fentanyl. Right. I mean, that is someone's drug of choice. That is people's drug of choice. They they seek it it out. They use it. Yeah. And they come into contact with it when they're using it. It's also uh, fentanyl. Fentanyl patches are a thing that people use for uh, pain. You mean they're not they're not copping their with their local drug dealer, the fentanyl dealer, and then getting into their hazmat suit to. To use the drug? Well, and you know what happened for you, Jesse, during your colonoscopy? They gave you fentanyl. Oh, no! I know, so they had to handle it, and I don't know how they did it. I don't know. They must have sacrificed their lives to give you a colonoscopy. It looked it looked like B-roll from Breaking Bad. <laughs> it was just everybody in hazmat suits. So, with that in mind, with all of this in mind, how it's not possible for this to happen... I want you to listen to this news package that was on the news about this police officer. Tonight, Central Florida police officers are covering after coming close to death from an overdose. The various police say one of their officers was conducting a traffic stop when she was exposed to fentanyl. She is now recovering, and West Hope spoke to the department about the quick action her colleagues took to save her life. When this happened to the Tavares police officer, body camera footage captured it all. But before you see the video, it's important to know it can be difficult to watch, and this officer is okay. Yeah, I possible exposure. Tavares police said they're releasing this difficult footage of an officer who is now doing okay as a warning about how dangerous fentanyl can be. Courtney Sullivan with the Tavares Police Department said Officer Courtney Bannock found drugs on a passenger during a traffic stop Monday night. She said she just barely opened it, saw that it was, you know, narcotics, closed it quickly. Sullivan said Bannock wore gloves as she always did. The officers agreed to test the substance back at the department, trying to avoid exposure because it was windy. Next thing you know, you know, she was trying to key up on the radio and you could hear in the radio traffic, almost like she was choking. Sullivan said the officers found Bannock in and out of consciousness. They got Bannock out of the car and ran to get the emergency medication Narcan. The small window to get to the hospital 
and to get the care that you need. Get an answer. You're good. You're good. You're good. She's breathing. Hey, stay with me, okay? The body camera footage shows Officer Bannock reviving, <laughs> even talking. <laughs> Not long after, she's passed out again. They administered a third Narcan. Officer Bannock survived. He's saying that Officer Bannock in general really wants um, others to take away from this so that these drugs are dangerous. They're dangerous for not only yourself, but others surrounding you. We're told the officer is at home recovering and she believes the wind did contribute to her overdose. Police also say that the person involved will likely face felony charges, but they're still investigating. In Tavares, Anika Hope, West 2 News. So all the people they're interviewing here are cops, not yeah. experts, mm-hmm. not medical, not a doctor. Mm-hmm. Not They're just, well, she says it was the wind. Oh, she says it was the wind. Right. It must must be the wind. Well, and that's three what, Narcans. Three. Which is, I mean, you almost never need that. I mean, you almost never need more than two. It's it's rare to need more than one. And sometimes with, one with someone who actually purposefully ingested the drug. Someone who just had incidental contact through the wind. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is like Bill Clinton saying that he didn't inhale or whatever you know like you got a little dusting from the wind i mean but first it was the gloves and then it's a dusting from the wind like it's a moving of the goalposts within the story even itself so the symptoms of a an opioid overdose like what you would see with someone who has used fentanyl is depressed mental state depressed respiratory rate shallow breathing uh constricted pupils this officer had dilated pupils. She was saying that she started choking, that she became nauseous. These are not symptoms of an opioid overdose. Right. And this is what we consistently see with these stories of police officers. It's like they claim, have a panic attack. Yeah. I mean, like if you become breathless and you start choking because you're panicking, because you've right. heard all these stories about how if you even come near fentanyl, you're going to be killed then you are obviously going to have stress when you come into contact with something that you believe to be fentanyl, which they don't even know, by the way. It hasn't been confirmed right. that this substance was fentanyl. Yeah, it, it it really brings into focus the level of, of paranoid cowardice in our police force all across the country. Yeah. These are supposed to be steely-eyed protectors of the public, and it's windy, and... <laughs> They freak out. And now they're going to charge this person with a felony. Yeah. I mean, just cowards. Just weak-minded, weak-willed cowards. Well, and cop accounts on Twitter are using this course they as are. a way to promote that they need more funding to protect the public because right. of this threat of fentanyl. I mean... Look, it- fentanyl is bad news. And there is absolutely an epidemic with fentanyl and other opioids in this country killing hundreds of thousands of people. Absolutely. But this is being used as a piece of propaganda in order to secure more funding for police departments that don't fucking need it. They're already not getting the job done. What's more money going to do? Well, and it's actually damaging. These lies are damaging. That's what's so irresponsible about the news to share this is Mm -hmm. that it will create a situation where first responders are afraid to render aid to people that have overdosed because 
they think that they may yeah. be overdosed due to passive exposure from fentanyl or even um, a bystander who has Narcan on them may be afraid to administer yeah. Narcan to someone that they see as overdosing because they're afraid of passive exposure to fentanyl. So this has real world ramifications. And here's here's my take on this. I think that we can just forget about this, put it out of our minds. And there's actually a more important Tavares that we should focus on. Tavares, Tavares, I don't I don't know how to say it. They said it like three different ways in that news package. <laughs> they can't even get that, right? So <laughs> this is really the Tavares that we should all unite around and focus on in the aftermath of this news story. It only takes a We'll let it go. Uh, Wait for it. <laughs> I don't get. I don't get the joke well, at all. Okay, well that's Tavares. And oh, the band. That's a band. Oh, a great band. As you heard, I thought because the the. All right, now I see the, the name of the clip. I'm like, I don't, I thought this was like a, it's the a name rib- of the city. Yeah, but I thought it was like a a rebuttal to the thing, and now no. now I get the joke. Yeah, yeah. No, as soon as I saw. Tavares police officer I was like oh like the band amazing and then I just started listening to a bunch of Tavares and trying to forget that this ever happened so that's what I'm that's what I'm helping everyone else do right now (laughs) okay so conservatives have this problem of focusing what were you saying Okay, (laughs) I clipped it at the perfect spot, don't you think? So Laura Ingram has been focusing on the, obviously she's pushing these fentanyl lies as well. And she's also focusing on the the Twitter shadow banning, which has come out of the Twitter files. So let's let's quickly uh, talk the about Twitter files. Let's quickly talk about the Twitter files. So this basically is that certain reporters have been given access to. Uh, let's. Uh, let, you're being real fucking generous. The word reporters doing a lot of heavy lifting right there, Brittany Page. Okay, quote unquote reporters. Matt Taibbi and Barry Wise and Barry fucking Wise. Okay, they were given access to. Basically, the inside baseball for how de-amplification of disinformation occurred on the Twitter platform prior to Elon Musk's takeover. A lot of heavy air quotes here. Okay, so that basically in the Twitter files, they started doing these lengthy Twitter threads exposing, quote-unquote, how conservatives have been targeted, quote-unquote, for shadow bans. And basically what this means is that within the algorithm, if your account had been pegged as one that was spreading misinformation, whether it be about election fraud or COVID-19, whatever, vaccines, then the algorithm would essentially suppress yeah, put your less, tweets less importance on distributing your tweet out to twitter in right. general right and of course we've already talked about how jack the previous owner of twitter had admitted his mistake in suppressing the hunter biden laptop story he believed it was disinformation coming out of russia the team was like struggling to understand what was real what was not and so they made this decision to suppress the story on twitter 
And then they later admitted that and apologized for it and recognized it as a mistake. Now, fast forward a few years later, Barry Weiss breaks that news on Twitter (laughs) as though no one had ever heard about it. And so conservatives are using these quote unquote Twitter files threads that Matt Taibbi and Barry Wise have been have been promoting about the quote unquote targeting of conservatives. And they've been using that to to increase the controversy on Twitter. And so now it's a prominent talking point for Fox News hosts. Like right. Charlie Kirk went on and talked about it with Tucker Carlson, like how they're being shadow banned. And eh. Listen, if there was ever a nothing burger, this every chapter of the Twitter files has been a fucking nothing. Yes, except for Laura Ingram, who believes that because of Twitter shadow banning, people died. Oh, wow. Let's... Let's let's hear this. I'm going to take it farther. I think this shadow banning actually could have, well, did, you know, a few steps removed. It, it led to <laughs> death. I mean, I think kids, because of these lockdowns, the mental health evidence that is piling up now all across the country, suicide, depression, anxiety, self-harm, everything we're seeing that came out of those lockdowns, we couldn't talk about it without mm. getting suppressed. You were called a conspiracy theorist, and so was I. She she was suppressed with her nightly Fox News program? <laughs> that is some magic on the part of Twitter to suppress a Fox News broadcast. Yeah. The other thing, I love the, 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 the evidence that's piling up all over the country and then doesn't have the time to even mention one piece of evidence that's piling up? Well, I also love the pretending to care about the mental health crisis for teens right now. Right. I mean, these are the same people that mock teens for like having animals come and visit their classrooms to reduce anxiety. Or teens who use pronouns to to identify their pronouns. Of course. I mean, they're attacking the most vulnerable teens that have the highest suicide rates in the country. They spend their free time attacking them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's all around ridiculous. But if you want to know more about the Twitter files and what exactly went down here, and even if you don't, you're going to hear about it because <laughs> Donnie O'Sullivan did this this package on CNN explaining in detail what's happening with the Twitter files. And wouldn't you know, a day after he did this news package on CNN, he got suspended from Twitter permanently. Along with like a dozen other straight news journalists. We're not talking about activist people like New York Times, Washington Post, CNN here with Donnie O'Sullivan. Twitter files. Over the past few weeks, journalists picked by Elon Musk have been given access to some of Twitter's internal systems and communications. Matt Taibbi is one of them. They have a whole universe of stuff that they can do to any single account They can dial it all the way down to you cannot be searched, all the way up to your account will not trend, only people who follow you can see you, even people who follow you won't see you unless they search. So far, select images like these of Twitter's internal systems purport to show how some prominent conservatives were added to lists like Do Not Amplify and seemingly broke Twitter's rules. But few specifics were included in the files. We were averaging 115,000 retweets a day when we were really at our peak. Then all of a sudden we saw off a cliff almost immediately our engagement, our retweets disappear. Twitter has previously acknowledged it de-amplifies accounts if used as harmful or that regularly break its rules. But it does not tell those users their accounts are being limited. Musk wants to change that. Musk has talked a lot about informing people of removal and reduction, and that is a good thing. But it's not clear how he's actually going to have 
the engineering and the resources to do it. While Gabriel Nicholas, who has studied deamplification, says transparency is a good thing, there are some cases where it is better to not inform a user their account is being limited, such as the case of serial harassers. We look at the kinds of accounts that Twitter has deamplified or banned over the last uh, two or three years. It tends to be accounts that will post things that are both novel and outrageous and detrimental in some way to society, whether it's through hate, harassment, or incitement. So what is de-amplification? Well, sometimes when you open your Twitter feed, you're not just seeing the latest tweets. What you're seeing is the algorithm recommending to accounts and tweets it thinks you might be interested in. Now, let's imagine Twitter is Times Square. People here can say whatever they want to whoever they want, but sometimes the algorithm might pick up the more interesting comments and tweets and highlight them on some of the billboards. But if you're blacklisted, you're never going to get your comments or tweets up on these billboards. And that is what some people understand to be shadow banning. Shadow banning definitely has a lot of negative connotation. It sort of brings up this image of a shadowy cabal of decision makers who determine what people can see and what people can't see. But I think it's really not a productive word to use when we're actually trying to talk about some of the nuances of content policy. While many groups have raised concerns over deamplification, the central focus of the Twitter files is that Republicans were unfairly targeted. That is something Twitter has long denied. Twitter undertook no behavior to selectively censor conservative Republicans or conservative voices on your platform. Is that correct? Correct. So what's interesting is the the purge of journalists that has happened over the past 24 hours really started with Elon Musk getting rid of at Elon Jet. And at Elon Jet was the account that was tracking Elon Musk's private plane. Using public data, right. publicly available data, it was a bot that when his plane would take off, it would let you know where his plane was. Right. And of course, Elon Musk had previously tweeted that his dedication to free speech was so strong that it applied even to allowing the person who was tracking his private jet to remain on Twitter. He, he tweeted that himself. Right. And that no longer applies. He also banned Jack Sweeney, the, the man who was tracking Elon's jet. He banned his account. So... I mean, here's here's where we're at. He has put back on Twitter Kanye West, Donald Trump, uh, Baked Alaska, who is a Nazi. Nick Fuentes. He also put on that other Nazi who uh, created Stormfront, the founder of oh, Stormfront. Uh, Andrew Eglin. So he's, he's putting these Nazis and right-wing radicals back on Twitter, and he's removing legitimate journalists, including from the Washington Post. Any, and, like, if they wrote a story about this thing taking place right then they got banned yes all of the journalists who have been targeted in the past 24 hours have been very strong critics of elon musk and what elon musk is saying is that he created this new rule on twitter which is if you post uh private information about someone's whereabouts he's calling them his assassination coordinates yeah his assassination coordinates that that the reason that the reason these journalists got banned is because they took part in reporting on the elon jet situation which led to them posting links about his whereabouts yeah he's saying that they doxed him Yes, he's using very strong language, which, again, you have stated that this is publicly available information. There were journalists that were tracking Epstein's planes. 
Yeah. So, I mean, this is like publicly available information that people can find if they want to find it. And he's he's now targeting journalists who are reporting on him in a critical way and allowing right-wing radicals to remain on the platform. So I think there may be people that listen to this that aren't on Twitter and aren't as terminally online as we are that are like, Jesus, these fucking people are talking about Twitter so goddamn much. Why don't they shut the fuck up? Twitter wow. is... <laughs> I mean, I'm just imagining. I'm just... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Does our audience talk exactly like me? They wish we were dead. Is yeah, what, yes. so, yeah. um, so they may be thinking, what the hell? But Twitter is, again, we have praised Twitter a lot, but it, it is supposed to be this public communication tool where you are able to go on and have access to information and it allows activists to do important work. It is so important in so many ways. And now a billionaire owns it. And when he bought it, he he claimed that he wanted it because he wanted to turn it into a nonpartisan tool to protect speech right. for everyone. And of course, we knew that wasn't true. But what we're finding is just how not true it was. He's not interested in protecting speech. He's interested in protecting right-wing radicals yeah. and eliminating the presence of people who report on him critically, eliminating the presence of left-wing media and elevating right-wing media and right-wing figures. Yeah, in this case, he's not even just eliminating left-wing media. He's eliminating middle-of-the-fucking-road straight journalists. To call the New York Times left-wing is... A stretch. Well, and even you just heard you heard Donnie O'Sullivan's report. He got banned right. for reporting on Elon Musk. That was a very fair package. It was right. a very fair news package on Anderson Cooper. In fact, I would argue it was too fair. It was a little too generous. Not to the left Twitter wing. Files. No. Yeah. And so for even Donnie O'Sullivan to be banned is this is scary. And it's scary for what it means for people that don't have a platform like Donnie O'Sullivan to go on Anderson Cooper's show. It is scary how Elon Musk can just delete whoever he wants to. He can give access to everyone's DMs to whoever he wants to. Right. Uh, I mean, it's concerning. Well, here, here's here's the thing. There are a lot of people out there, they're, your spidey sense may, may be tingling. Like, oh, well, then why is it not um, the same thing when, when they were shadow banning conservatives? If every conservative was getting shadow banned, that would be a problem. I believe that what they were targeting were people who were spreading disinformation and dangerous lies about COVID, leading people to not get the vaccine, leading people to to put their lives in danger and to endanger others. Um, like uh, banning Donald Trump was because he posed a real threat to the nation. Lives were at risk. They did this out of an abundance of caution. It's not about... Um, one side or the other. It's who's actually creating harm. That's a great point. It's the question of who is actually sharing hate. Yeah. Who's sharing the hate speech? Who is sharing the disinformation? If it's liberals, get rid of them. If it's conservatives, get rid of them. Yeah. And rather than having a team of people involved in making these decisions now, it is Elon Musk. Yeah. There's no longer a team and making these decisions. it's dependent upon how his fucking mood is that day. It is. Yeah. And part of it is he said, listen... Some stalker, he claimed, right. uh, followed his son in a car because they thought Elon Musk was in the car, and he, he claimed this happened. They didn't even file a police report. At the airport. Yeah, they didn't file a police report. There the LAPD has said, 
No police report has been filed about this incident. Yeah, and I mean, you would, right, if a stalker oh, was following your child. So it's it's all a little too messy, and it really just comes down to Elon Musk is a terrible person. He's making terrible decisions, and this is what the world would look like if <laughs> if we continue to allow billionaires to have too much power. We need to take their power. They cannot be allowed to do this, and it's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We all know Elon Musk loves Ron DeSantis. And oh, he, he endorsed Ron DeSantis. Yeah, I mean, he didn't vote in the midterms, Elon Musk, but he... Even though they were the most important thing to do? Yeah, he told everyone to vote for Republicans, and then he didn't even vote himself in the midterms. So, <laughs> Ron DeSantis, though, of course, is making headlines because he has announced a new anti-CDC called the Public Health Integrity Committee, and he held this this news conference with all these anti-vax people. Like a weird, like a... A, like uh, there were these giant monitors behind them with like hundreds of people who were attending the Zoom meeting that he was on behind him. Yeah, he loves like it was my, fucking weird. He loves Minority Report imagery. It's like something that he goes <laughs> yes! to, and so <laughs> in like a Minority Report backdrop, here's Ron DeSantis making his new announcement. The whole power structure's coming down. <laughs> Number one show in the world right now. Oh my god. <laughs> It's what it was like. It was like an Alex Jones show. Yeah, for sure. Should I play the clip of DeSantis? I mean, that would be good. Uh, I think you've continued to see people uh, in these bureaucracies and in this establishment behave in ways uh, that have totally squandered any type of confidence or goodwill that people would have. And our CDC at this point, anything they put out, you just assume at this point uh, that it's not worth the paper that it's printed on. And who, so it's not serving assume? a useful function. It's really serving to advance narratives rather than do evidence-based medicine. And so in Florida, the Surgeon General actually has the ability uh, to convene uh, panels of experts uh, to do uh, uh, some various things. And so we <laughs> thought it was important, particularly me talking with other governors, to say, okay, because CDC will say these things, and then people will think, well, because they're saying it, then we have to do it. And maybe not quite as much anymore because people have lost confidence, but you still see it. We had to fight it with the masking in the schools because the, the, the school districts were citing CDC as the reason why they wanted to do it. We had to come and overrule that, uh, but it was difficult because they were being put as an authority and some people were were doing that. I want to pause. This is Donald Trump level rant. Yes. Like stream of consciousness speaking. Mm -hmm. This isn't normal politician, Ivy League educated individual. Listen, we make jokes about how he, he mimics his hand movement. This is modeling even his speech and the way he talks after Donald Trump. So other governors and I have talked about the need uh, to have uh, a panel of experts who can counteract nonsense when it's coming out of these institutions that are not going to just go along with the flow and follow pre-cooked narratives, but will actually do 
evidence-based analysis. And so uh, in Florida, uh, we're creating uh, what we're calling the Public Health Integrity Committee. It's a committee of expert researchers that will uh, be able to assess uh, recommendations and guidance uh, related to public health and health care, but particularly being able uh, to offer critical assessments of things that uh, uh, bureaucracies like the FDA, CDC, and NIH um, are doing. Uh, we know that there's been a lot of uh, faith destroyed um, in public health, uh, and I think that it's important that uh, we have folks who people actually can rely on when they're looking to answers and when they're looking for guidance on some of these really, really important issues. The people we and so, of course, you're going to look to Ron DeSantis for right. guidance on those important health questions. And the team he handpicks and puts together. Yeah, I mean, this is under the context of in Idaho. Of course, it's a different state completely across the country from where Ron DeSantis is. But in Idaho, they're having conversations about implementing crisis standards of care for children. And Again, if, no. if you're wondering what that means, that that is literally rationing health care. So if you have... If you have two kids that present at the hospital and you only have room to treat one, you have you have rules that you have to determine which one of those two kids gets treatment and which one does not. Right. That's what Idaho is looking to implement. They because, previously because their emergency rooms and their hospital beds they're so full, right. there's no more room to treat any more kids. Some kids are going to have to fend it on their own and possibly die. Right. And in an article that I read, they've sent uh, a kid as far as Alaska to get help. They have started moving kids into the adult unit if they have room for that. And they have asked people in Idaho to please get vaccinated. Right. And wear masks. Easy shit. I mean, of course. <laughs> of course. But it's fucking Idaho. And and so Ron DeSantis is here sowing doubt about vaccines, continuing to be anti-mask, anti-vax in a situation where there is going to be increased harm. I mean, they want to talk about death from shadow banning and, right. and death from not having access to information from anti-vaxxers. No, the death comes in the form of Idaho having to implement crisis standards of care, which they did during the height of COVID with adults. So if you don't want to be in a situation where hospitals are having to implement crisis standards of care, please get vaccinated. Please wear a mask. Even if you're not worried about yourself ending up in a hospital, that's why you get vaccinated and you wear a mask. So that if you are an adult and you have RSV, for example, I don't think there's a vaccine for that. But if you are an adult and you, you have pass RSV. You it on to a kid. Right. It's going to be mild symptoms for you. It could possibly be lethal for a young child. So you wear a mask, right? Just yeah. just to ensure that you have that layer of protection. And I know everyone's like, Jesus, these motherfuckers with Twitter and masking and vaccines. I'm kidding. They're not. <laughs> What's going on right now? God damn. Okay. So anyway, wear a mask and get vaccinated. Good times. It's America. Love it Moving on. Moving on. It's the asshole of today. Nurses at Emory Hospital. Nurses at Emory Hospital? Again? So there's this trend, I guess, <laughs> on TikTok where people... Oh, this thing. Where people are sharing their ick, and that is things that are turnoffs in relationships, like I icky, guess, is how it started. Them. Yeah, and it, it then became a trend of people in various professions sharing their ick about the populations that they work with. And these nurses decided to 
talk about their ick in their labor and delivery patients. And it did not go well for them because they have all been fired because it is wildly inappropriate to take part in such a social media challenge. My ick is when you come in for your induction talking about, can I take a shower and eat? What? My ick is when you ask me how much the baby weighs and it's still, and it's still in your hands. Dad comes outside and asks for a paternity test right outside the room door. Saying you don't want any pain medicine, no epidural, but you are at an 8 out of 10 pain just to serve a deal, and you're still closed, fingertip. Well, we've already told you to push a call light, but every five minutes, your excuse family me, member coming at the front desk asking for something else. blanket. Another egg. When you're going room to room, between one baby mama and your other baby mama. Oh, Nick. <laughs> it's the unlimited trips to the nurse's station for me. How dare they go to the nurse's station? How icky. It So something just came up for me listening to that, and that is I remember when I was visiting you in the hospital, and everyone was, was pretty great, I would say, except for after your surgery. It kind of got a little loosey-goosey in terms of care for you. And you were in a lot of pain at one point and the nurse was in the room and noted that you were in a lot of pain. You weren't wanting to take like opioids. You weren't wanting to take that, but you wanted Tylenol. Tylenol. Yeah. And then they, then they, they, after me protesting that I wasn't getting enough, then they worked in uh, ibuprofen alternating to keep me on both at the same time. And so it had approached the period of time where you needed yeah. one of your doses and you were in a lot of pain. When the pain hit, I mean, they took 35% of my colon, cut it out of me. It, I was, I was, it was a lot of pain. And so the nurse was like, I'll be back with that shortly. And then 20 minutes passed, 30 minutes passed, and you're getting increasingly... It was an hour. You know, it's, longer it's, than it's an more hour. and more yeah. pain. And so... At one point, maybe at the 20 minute mark or the 30 minute mark, we, we did push the button and someone came in and said, oh, you know, he's going to be back on his way. He's going to come around and do that. And then we kept giving it more time and he, he never was. And finally, I went out to the nurse's station and I said, hey, he needs his pain medication. And he was just like laughing with a coworker like he had forgot. He didn't yeah. remember to come in. Yeah, yeah. And so it's weird that the things that these people are talking about, these nurses, are... I mean, imagine having a baby and they put it on you and then you're like, how much does it weigh? You're in a daze. You don't know. I mean, you're just asking questions. You're excited. Also, you're overjoyed. You're just you're- unmitigated, immeasurable joy and and elation. I mean, you're not, oh, oh logically, oh, they haven't wait. Just, it's a fucking momentous occasion in someone's fucking life. Yeah, and here's the thing. We all kind of get calloused about certain things in our professions and in our jobs, but this is not the way to cope with it. The way to cope with it is to like go in the break room and do this exercise that you just did on TikTok for thousands of people, millions of people at this point, and like do that in the break room. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if that's what you're going to do. It, it's, I, it's extra strange for me because when you work in one of these fields, ostensibly it's drilled into your head about patient privacy. Now they're not naming individual patients here. But you would think that that level of concern for, oh, you got to be really careful because of HIPAA and every other regulation to not be flippant about the information you have. And here they are on TikTok. Ew, this is my ick. All the baby daddies and fucking ugh. 
Yeah, and who who knows, honestly, like if they're just playing this up or if they really are this fed up with their jobs, but it's not it's not cool to have someone this at the end of their rope with the people that they're working with serving the public. Well, imagine the, now the, the the people going in to, to give birth in this hospital. Oh, yeah. They're like, oh, gee, oh, I'm going to that hospital? Am I going to be judged for everything that happens here? Who knows the level of anxiety that's going to be foisted upon families and people who are going to be dealing with these idiots. Well, and this happens in different professions. I've seen it on Twitter where professors will shit on their students and certain essays that have been submitted or applications that have been submitted to grad school. And imagine being on Twitter and you follow one of these professors because you really admire their work or you admire them. And then you see them shitting on your work or your application yeah. Using a specific example from that, you know, or I see this with therapists on TikTok. I think therapist TikTok is toxic as fuck. It is not great. <laughs> um, I I don't know. I, they do the same kind of thing where they will, you know, poke fun at certain things that patients do, certain things that clients do. And it's it's not cool to, to do that, you yeah. know, Um. I don't know how this became a trend. There are other ways to share information with the public. There are other ways to get attention online. And if you can do that without insulting the people that you are supposed to be serving in your role, then uh, do that. Especially in a helping profession. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'd love your thoughts. 657-464-7609. Email idoubtit at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. Artemis. Artemis? You mean the rocket? No, Artemis, the family dog. (laughs) Artemis, family dog. Listen, we love wholesome dog content on this show. Yeah, we do. We are pro wholesome dog content, and this is about as wholesome as it gets with Artemis, the family dog, protecting his two sisters who got lost in the woods. Humans? Yes. Oh, okay. (laughs) Sisters, what? In Louisiana, a desperate search for two missing sisters came to a happy end, thanks in part to a very good boy named Artemis. (laughs) CBS's David Begno dug up the story. Ah, the dug up. Meet Artemis, the Berg family pet, and their hero. When Abigail and Cecilia, aged seven and four, went missing recently in the woods behind their Louisiana home, Artemis went with them. I just start like running around the whole property. I mean, six acres. And um, that's when I called him and said, hey, I, they're, they're gone. Police and neighbors searched for hours. Before I knew it was it was past nine o'clock and we still had no word. After wandering more than a mile, the girls got tired and turned to Artemis. She was hanging on his collar. Was she really? Yeah. Four hours after they vanished, a searcher heard Artemis barking, then saw the dog do something that melted hearts. He wasn't letting them by the girls. He was circling them, growling at the people. Really? To protect them. Mm-hmm. It was only after the girls were reunited with mom and dad that everyone learned Artemis was actually the one that got them lost. The family has forgiven him. He's got a free pass for a while. I won't be <laughs> fussing at him for chewing up blankets and, and shoes. You're such a good boy. Indeed, a very good boy. David Begno, CBS News, Folsom, Louisiana. So Artemis is taking care of Biz because he protected his 
human sisters, but <laughs> sisters nonetheless. And I love how they are blaming him. Yeah, with dicks, he's, man. He's taking the fall for these kids. Who he's clearly, a fucking dog. Yeah, they have they have the agency, and they're just like, you know what? He was out of control. He was dragging us through the woods. What were we supposed to we do? We were trying to save him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Artemis is a very Dogs good Dogs are fucking great. They're beautiful and wonderful. I mean, my mom used to tell a story about their border collie, and they would walk to school. They went to, like, Eagle High School, elementary school or whatever, back before Eagle was what it is now, an expensive um, uh, suburb of Boise. And their dog would, like, push them off the road into the fucking grass when they would walk to school. Like, hey, what, take care of yourself here. And dogs <laughs> are just awesome. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Sweepy had to get carried downstairs, by the way, because she her new routine is to, when we start recording, come underneath the table and start growling at us or barking at us to play. <laughs> because she's like, no, no, this working thing is not going to happen right now. I'm. It's time to play. This is playtime. Yeah. Uh, she's getting pretty great, by the way. Yes. The sweep. Yeah. Anyway, we love you guys. We appreciate you. We're going to leave you there. We'd love to have your thoughts and hear from you. Questions, comments, whatever. 657-464-7609. Email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We'd love to have you in the Patreon family. Go to patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast or go to dollamore.info to pick up some merch as a gift or for yourself this holiday season. We will see you next time. Until we do, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.